evening. <clears throat> if you have your Bibles tonight, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Romans 12 says that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and we should weep with those who weep. God does not ask us to do anything that he does not model first. So has it ever occurred to you that when good things happen in your life that you're rejoicing over, the Lord is rejoicing with you? Has it ever occurred to you that when you are hurting or grieving or weeping that the Lord grieves with you? 2 Corinthians 1 says that we have a God of all comfort and he comforts us in all of our affliction. And so that word comfort means to go to the side of someone else, to be right there with them your hand's on their shoulder, and you're grieving as they're grieving. You're hurting as they're hurting, and they're not grieving or hurting alone. And through his Holy Spirit, every time a believer is hurting or grieving, the Holy Spirit is right there with us. We have a very tender-hearted God. I think sometimes we get this idea that he's distant and uncaring, as if we're more caring than he is. But every good thing about our lives came from him. Our capacity to love came from the fact that he is love. But our capacity to hurt or to grieve or to rejoice or to celebrate came from, as we're made in his image, God's ability to do the same thing. So tonight, I want us to talk about choosing a tender heart. Because God has a tender heart. And we don't need to confuse tenderheartedness with weakness. Sometimes if we see someone that we think is really strong in a circumstance, you know, they're stone-faced, they're non-emotional during all the pressure. Well, that may not be a sign of strength. That may be a sign that their heart is hard. And Jesus modeled a tender heart in scripture, and he's calling us to have it as well. So let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to take over this time, and that whatever he wants to say to you, you will have ears to hear. So would you just ask him to speak to you? Father, we are coming to you in Jesus' name. Where two or more are gathered, you are right here with us. And we are committing this time to you, and we pray that you would have your way. May your kingdom come, may your will be done in our hearts, in our families, and in our lives, and in our future. Just pray that whatever you want to do, Lord, you'd give us ears to hear. And we pray that you would give us the tender heart of Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The older we get, <laughs> the uh, weaker our eyesight gets, <laughs> the worse our hearing gets. <laughs> this week, for the first time, I bought some uh, glasses, and uh, I've never had glasses before, so it was just weird looking at the leaves on the trees, you know, and driving around. It was really cool, uh, but at the same time, I am mindful of the fact that I'm 47 years of age, 
and uh, that I'm getting older. And it's, uh, I'm grateful, though, for technology, for eyeglasses. I don't have any hearing aids, thank God, right now. But, uh, but we're all heading in that direction as we get older. And we know it's really because of sin, original sin in our lives. And I think about Satan telling Eve, when you eat the fruit, your eyes will be opened. Have you ever seen the spectrum of light that we can see? Of all the different spectrums of light that's up there, the Roy G. Biv rainbow, if you look up here, is the tiny little sliver. That's the only light that we can see of all the light that's out there. All the gamma ray, x-ray, UV, radio, microwave, we can't see any of that. All we can see is the tiny little sliver, and thank God we can because we can walk around and we think, oh, the, the world is a beautiful place. But I was thinking, I wonder if Adam and Eve could see a greater spectrum of light before they sinned. I don't know. Scripture doesn't say. But I bet when we're in heaven, we're going to be able to see colors we've never seen before. And I believe we're going to be able to hear a greater capacity of sound. Have you ever seen those people that get the cochlear implants? They've never heard sound before on the internet. And they begin to cry when they, when they hear sound for the first time. Have you ever seen the people that are colorblind? I've got a friend who's colorblind. And the first time they ever put those in chroma glasses on and they can see color for the first time. Watch this video. Turn your attention to the screen. We've been wanting to do this for a long time, so we're gonna see how this works. Go ahead and open up your eyes. Do you know what this is? Them chrome glasses? Yeah. glasses? Yeah. So, you see these balloons here, Zach? Mm -hmm. I'm gonna get them in there. Okay, so we can all see the colors. I want you to point to each one and tell me what color they are, okay? Okay, dark green. Okay. Well, try your gift out, buddy, and we'll see, uh, we'll see how this works. I know we all said a prayer. Look at the camera. Now, those look pretty cool. <laughs> Do I look any different? Do I really? Your hair looks different. Really? Okay, well, let's look at the balloons and see. Uh... Oh my gosh. Look at me. Are they different? Are they really? Oh, is it way different? <laughs> Tell me about it, buddy. So it looks different? Do you know what these colors are now? That's red. Yes. <laughs> yes. How did you know? That's yellow. That's yellow. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Completely not scripted. My family will know that, but purple. that's purple. Orange. Yes. Yes, Zach. You can see them. You can yeah. see them, buddy. Leave them on. Leave them on. Is it freaking you out? I don't need to tell, but he's like crying and like really. Oh bad. my gosh, Zach. You can see them. You can see the differences. I think about the people who Jesus healed. You know they were so overwhelmed. They looked around and suddenly they could see or hear for the first time and were just overwhelmed with tears. The capacity that we're, we take for granted on a daily basis. And this is just the Roy G.B. of light. 
But to think the expansion of the ability to see more, what a gift. And to think about heaven. You know, there's a wide range of sound to our human ears can only hear 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz of sound. So the deeper, lower sounds that whales and elephants can hear that we can't hear, or that the higher sounds that dolphins and bats can hear that we can't hear, I wonder if in heaven we're going to be able to hear a greater capacity of sound as well. It sheds a little light on this verse in 1 Corinthians 2.9. Things which eyes have not seen and ears have not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. And I think, wow, heaven is going to be amazing. The food that we'll be able to eat with a greater capacity to taste it, you know. The, 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 the sights, the sounds, everything. Our capacity to see. But the Bible goes beyond because it will connect our capacity to see and hear with something else that is repeated in Scripture. And that is the capacity of our heart to feel. The sensitivity of our hearts. So if, in your, if you'll look in your Bible in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, Paul is writing these believers, he's told them who they are in Christ in the first three chapters. They're, he's so excited about all the treasures that they have in Christ. And when he gets to chapter 4, he tells them, uh, look in verse 17, So this I say, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles, the non-believers, also walk, in the futility of their minds, being darkened in their understanding. That's what sin does to us. It darkens our understanding. Excluded from the life of God. It disconnects us from God. Because of the ignorance that is in them, people that are away from God, they claim that they're wiser and enlightened, but they're actually more foolish. It says, because of the ignorance that is in them, look at the next few words, because of the hardness of their heart. That's what sin has done to us. And they, verse 19, having become, what's the next word? Calloused. Unable to feel anymore. Numb. Uncaring. They have now, because they're futile in their minds, they're calloused in their hearts, they have now given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. He says, this is who you used to be, who I used to be. If you read Romans chapter 1, it walks through the progression of we knew God. He revealed enough of himself in all of creation to us. But we rejected him. We exchanged worshiping the creator for the creation. And then if you watch through, if you read through Romans 1, it talks about their, their hearts became harder and their minds became dumber, basically. Now they have a greater capacity to sin than they did before. Every time our heart gets harder, we have a greater capacity to sin. Things that we would never have done before, our, our conscience wouldn't let us. Our heart has gotten harder, and now we will tolerate sin we would not tolerate before. And our minds get dumber and more twisted. So if you read through the progression of Romans 1, in each stage, God gave them over. Because of their sin. Now they become dumber and more hard-hearted. Now they commit even greater sin. God turns them over. Now they become even dumber, more reprobate mind. Hard gets even harder. And now they have a greater... And when you get down to the end of the chapter, it talks about full of wickedness. That you and I are on, a, on heading on a track 
if it weren't for the gospel in that direction. So with that in mind, Paul is writing to believers, he's writing to you and me today, and he says we got to throw off that hard heart. We don't want to be calloused anymore like we used to be. Now jump down to verse uh, 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now when I see that, there's an assumption in that verse, and that is, did you know the Holy Spirit can be grieved? You know why he can be grieved? Because he has a very tender heart. If he was hard-hearted and uncaring, Paul wouldn't have to tell us, quit grieving the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. I don't want to grieve tender-hearted people, and especially my Lord, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, Now he flips it around and says, instead of doing that, here's what you need to do. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now here's the verse, verse 32. Be kind to one another. What's the next word? Tenderhearted. There's an imperative in scripture. It's a command and God is telling you and me, I want you to be tenderhearted. Forgiving what a tender-hearted person does. They're not bitter anymore. They forgive. Just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. A tender heart has a greater capacity to feel than a hard heart. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. There, if it was eyesight, we can see more color <laughs> than just the world in black and white. But now it's coming to our hearts we have a greater capacity to love when our hearts are tender. The harder our hearts get in life, the more callous we become, we have a greater capacity to sin, to hurt people, and to do evil. And it doesn't bother us anymore because our hearts have gotten so hard. A tender heart has a greater capacity to enjoy good things. If you meet numb, callous people, It takes a lot for them to celebrate. They can't celebrate simple, little, easy things because their heart is hard. A tender heart has the greater capacity to enjoy and celebrate good things and a greater capacity to grieve over bad things, even the suffering of other people. The opposite of being tenderhearted is to be calloused, compassionless, heartless, merciless, ruthless, unfeeling, cold-blooded, unsympathetic, and numb. And the word numb is how I've heard this generation describe themselves so many times. I'm just numb. After you've looked at porn long enough, you're numb. After you've seen enough people slaughtered in the violent movies, you're numb. doesn't bother you anymore. After you've slaughtered them yourself with the games that you played, you get to the point where you don't care anymore. You don't grieve over the loss, and it takes a whole lot for you to get excited because your heart has become numb. It's interesting to me that evil characters in movies are often characterized by being heartless, ruthless, and unsympathetic towards other people. They're always the slaughtering people, hurting people, and they're unflinching about it. If you think about serial killers, if you think about school shooters, 
They're always known as people that were loners that got involved in a bunch of violent material, and eventually they got so hard-hearted and calloused and so hateful, they could walk into a school or a mall and slaughter people and shoot people. And if you notice, when they're arrested, they're numb. They don't care. When they're standing in court, there's no remorse. There's no weeping. There's no regret. Their heart has gotten so hard, they don't care anymore. Psalm 119 says their hearts are callous and unfeeling. And that's what sin does to us. It hardens our hearts. God doesn't want us to have hard hearts. We're made in his image. He doesn't want to be ap- us to be apathetic where we don't care anymore, where we've lost the ability to celebrate good things or grieve over bad things. So one of the key things he wants to happen after our salvation is for us to replace our hard hearts, our hard-hearted ways, our sin, and to put on the tender heart of Christ. Tender hearts respond differently to the world. When good things happen, they rejoice. What happens when a tender-hearted person sins? They feel it. They're convicted by it. They're grieved by their own sin. They want to get right with God. What happens when a tender-hearted person sees someone else who's hurting and mourning? You care. You want to comfort them. What happens when a tender-hearted person sees someone who's in need? You're moved with compassion for them. Jesus in Matthew 13 says, For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they can scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return back to God, and I would heal them. But because they're so callous, so hard-hearted, they're not right with God, and they don't care. It doesn't grieve them or bother them at all. And they have no desire to turn and be right with him. And it's to their own detriment. Becoming hard-hearted does not help us. It hurts us to lose the ability to feel. In 2 Corinthians, Paul told the Corinthians they had become restricted in their own affections. Their hearts were becoming hard. One of the worst things that can happen to us is for life to beat us up so bad or bitterness to set in and for us to become hard-hearted. In 1 Peter 3, he says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. This explains so much about why God does what he does in Scripture. And it helps us understand so much about why Jesus did what he did when we look through the lens of a tender heart. Even key events in the Old Testament only make sense when you realize It's viewed through the lens of a tender heart. This word for tenderness is connected to the word bowel or womb, and it's of a mom showing mercy the compassion she has for a child that she once bore in her womb. And we have an illustration of it in the Old Testament. If you remember the two prostitutes who were arguing in from Solomon, both of them had infant children. One of them had had rolled over and killed her child and then claimed the other other prostitute's child was hers, and they were arguing. It says when the 
When Solomon heard that, he said, all right, bring me a sword and I'll cut this baby in half, the living one, and I'll give half to this mom and half to this mom. Then the king said, bring me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. And the king said, divide the living child in two, give half to one and half the other. Then the woman whose son was living spoke to the king, for she yearned with compassion for her son that she had born. It literally meant her intestines, her stomach was aching with compassion for her child. And she said, oh, my Lord, give her the living child. By no means kill him. But the other said, let him be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. And the king answered, give the first woman the living child. By no means kill him. She is his mother. That picture there of the compassion of a mother, though, is the picture of this tender-hearted compassion. And we see it in the life of Joseph. How did Israel get rescued after everything Joseph went through, Joseph had been rejected and betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused, rotting in jail for years. But when his brothers are standing before him, God had through the suffering, instead of Joseph becoming bitter, he became more tenderhearted. And now because he had a tender heart, it says in Genesis 43, when Joseph saw his brothers... He said, your servant, our father, is in good health, isn't he? And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin. Remember, he and Benjamin were both the, the sons of Rachel. And he said, is this the younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And they said, God be gracious. Then he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Verse 30, now his heart yearned for his brother. It means literally inside his stomach. He was so moved deeply. He says he made haste and sought somewhere to weep, and he went into his chamber and wept there because he had a tender heart. Because of that tender heart, he showed compassion on his enemies and rescued a nation. The tender heart was the key in that situation. James chapter 5 says the Lord is compassionate. He is mercy. So if we look at Scripture, the flood... It makes sense to me now, because God has a tender heart. Genesis 6, the Lord saw all the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of his thoughts, of his heart, was only evil continually. And the Lord was grieved in his heart. Moses at the bush, God says, I have seen their pain, I have heard their cry, so I'm sending you to go help. God has a tender heart. He cares. He sees human suffering, and he cares. And his tenderness leads him to action. A person with a tender heart responds with a greater capacity, a deeper capacity to move into action because they're feeling things more deeply. They're responding more quickly with a greater kindness, a deeper love. So if you and I, God gives us a tender heart, when we hear brothers and sisters in Christ celebrating, we're not jealous. We're celebrating with them. When we see the goodness of God and we have tender hearts, we're moved by the goodness of God in genuine worship towards our Lord. Psalm 28, David says, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him. Therefore, my heart exults. He is so full of celebration. He's dancing, basically with song towards God because he's so moved by God's goodness. How does a tender heart respond to sad news? 
Well, what did Nehemiah do when he heard the sad news? It says he sat down and wept for days. And it was his tender heart that moved him to pray and to fast, to appeal to God to give him favor, to go all the way back to Jerusalem and do whatever it took to build the walls. If he had a hard, calloused heart, he would not have done it. And what does tender hearts, what do they do over sin? 2 Kings 22, the life of Josiah, when he became king at eight years old, his father was dead. When he was 26 years old, they found the book of the law and they read it out loud. Joseph, Josiah is hearing the word of God. It says he was broken. He tore his clothes. He led the whole nation to repent of their wickedness. How did God respond? God said, because your heart was tender and because you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and you have torn your clothes and wept, I truly have heard you. Therefore, behold, I will gather you to your fathers, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes will not see all the evil that I'll bring on this place. God shows compassion even in the midst of his anger because of the tenderheartedness of Josiah. And then think about David. When he sins, adultery with Bathsheba, murders Uriah, and then Nathan confronts him, David is broken over his own sin. If you read Psalm 51, to see how a tender heart repents of sin. God wants us to reflect Jesus. When Jesus shows up, think about it. First sermon, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. When you're persecuted, rejoice. For great is your reward in heaven. Jesus is speaking to people, calling them to live with a tender heart. And then you see it lived out in his life. It says when he called his disciples, he says, I feel compassion for the people because they've remained with me for three days now and have nothing to eat. They're going to faint on the way. I care about their suffering. It says when he saw the large crowd, he felt compassion for them and he healed their sick. In Luke 7, he approached the gate of the city there was a dead man being carried out, the only son of his mother, who was a widow. So she lost her husband, and now she lost her only son. And it says in verse 13 of Luke 7, when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion. His tender heart kicked in, and he said, do not weep. And he came and touched the coffin and rose the young man back to life again. Jesus' parables... The key turning point in all of his parables is when someone demonstrates a tender heart. Watch this. When Jesus is explaining truth to people, he wants them to understand love, so he tells them the Good Samaritan story. And then he says, but a Samaritan, after the other people walked by with calloused hearts, who was on a journey came upon him, and when he saw him, felt compassion. And he came to him, bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, put him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn to take care of him. So it was the moving with compassion, the tender heart of the Good Samaritan that made all the difference. Then you fast forward to the prodigal son, Luke 15. The father looks up. He sees his son coming home. While he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was moved with compassion. Demonstrating the heart of our God 
he runs and embraces his son and kisses him. The son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father says, take my best robe and put it on my son. It is the tender heart of God that Jesus is communicating to us. And then on the cross, when his father withdraws, how does Jesus respond? My God, why have you forsaken me? He feels it. When he sees the sinfulness of the people, knowing they deserve God's wrath, how does he respond? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When he looks up, even between breaths on the cross, and he sees his mother is not going to have any provision anymore, and he turns to John and says, take care of my mother. The tender heart of Christ, even on the cross. How do our hearts become hardened? Psalm 17 associates a hard heart with wickedness and pride. It says, from the wicked who despoil me, my deadly enemies who surround me, they have closed their unfeeling heart, and with their mouth they speak with pride. The hard heart is associated with stubbornness and rebellion, Second Chronicles says. He stiffened his neck. He hardened his heart, turning against the Lord. How could Pharaoh slaughter the Jewish babies? How could he say, you got to make bricks now without straw? How could he be so harsh to them, enslaving them? Exodus 8 says, because his heart was hard. Being sensitive, insensitive to the needs of other people is a sign of a, a hard heart. Deuteronomy 15 says, if there's a poor man with you, one of your brothers in any of your towns which the Lord your God has given you, and you you shall not harden your heart against them, nor close your hand from the poor, but freely open your hand and generously lend help to them, sufficient for whatever they lack. So even in the Old Testament law, God is saying, don't harden your heart, be careful. Mark 8 associates a hard heart with blindness to the truth. He says, do you not yet see or understand Do you have a hardened heart? Do you hear? So there's these warnings in Scripture against having a hardened heart. Psalm 95 says that resistance to God's word, his voice, can harden our hearts. Psalm 95, he says, today if you will hear my voice, don't harden your heart. So God is telling the people, do not harden your heart when you hear my voice. Sin hardens our hearts. When we sin and refuse to repent, our hearts get hard. Hebrews 3, take care, take care brethren, that there not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living of God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Anger and bitterness can harden our hearts. Unforgiveness. People hurt us, we refuse to forgive even though God has forgiven us. And in our anger and bitterness, our hearts get hard. That's why Ephesians 4 says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, put it away from you. Be tenderhearted. So how do we pursue a tender heart according to Scripture? Well, Ephesians 4, 26 through 32 
lays it out, get all the bitterness out. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit anymore. Be kind. Forgive. Colossians 3.12 and 13 and 14 also tells us how to deal with our hard hearts. It says, as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of peace. And then, helping people that are in need softens our hearts. 1 John 3, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. So when we see the needs of other people and we refuse to help, we got to be careful. Sometimes we're so worried we're going to corrupt someone who might be in need and we rationalize, well, we don't need to help them. But we need to be careful because if our hearts get harder, it's not a good thing. It's not worth it. So repenting, encouraging, forgiving, helping those that are in need. So tonight, I want to remind you that the Lord's heart is tender towards you. Lamentations 3, the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Psalm 103, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate. Ezekiel 36, I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe all of my ordinances. I think back to different times in my life when God laid discipline on me that I didn't like and didn't want and would break me down and reveal you have pride in you, you have self-centeredness in you, you have hard-heartedness in you. And he disciplines us, Scripture says, because he loves us. It says he, he scourges every child in whom he delights. So if you know the Lord and you are hard-hearted, he's going to come after you in love. He'll be gentle first and give you the shot over the bow. Here's the warning from the word. And then he will chasten you, make you uncomfortable. And then if you refuse, if you harden your heart in that situation, Scripture says he will then scourge you. And the scourging stinks. You will hate it. You won't like it. And God knows how to scourge all of us in our own way, in our own context, different from everybody else. But he does it as a loving, loving father. And his hope is to break through the hardness and give you the heart of Jesus. So tonight, I would love for us to pray and say, Lord, would you 
forgive me in any area of my life where I've hardened my heart against you, your word, other people. And Lord, I want to follow your command to be tenderhearted, to put on the heart of compassion, to respond to other people the same way I want Jesus to respond to me in my time of need. And I want to be like Christ. This world has a list of accusations against calloused, hard-hearted, prideful churches. And when we demonstrate the tender mercy of Christ, it's going to break through. Just like Jesus showing compassion to the woman caught in adultery, showing compassion to the woman at the well, showing compassion to the people that were in need around him. They don't see grace in this world. They just see the law lived out. You earn it, you get it. You don't earn it, you don't get it. And we have the grace of God through Jesus. And we can give the undeserved grace to others. And I would encourage you, let this start at home. Let it start at home. First with you and the Lord, with your spouse, your children. Show a tender, compassionate love for your family. And then let it ripple out from there. And let's watch God do amazing things as we embrace the heart of Jesus. Let's just spend time praying right now. And would you just talk to the Lord? Whatever he is saying to you, whatever he wants to do in you, would you just make yourself vulnerable to him? And let's just spend some time praying. Who do you need to forgive tonight? Father, we thank you that you have a heart of compassion. Your mercies are new every morning. That you so loved us, you sent Jesus on a rescue mission to deal with our wickedness, our pride, our selfishness, our arrogance, and all of our ignorance and hard-heartedness. And yet you showed compassion to us. Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you that Jesus was not a stoic, distant, disconnected, hard-hearted man. 
but that he wept over Jerusalem. And he wept at a funeral. And he was moved with compassion for people all around him. And he wasn't just moved, but he went into action to meet their needs. Lord, give us the heart of Jesus. Help us to love what you love and hate what you hate. To rejoice when you rejoice and weep when you weep. To be angry when you're angry. And patient when you're being patient. Lord, let forgiveness flow like a river in this place. Not just you forgiving us, but us forgiving one another. Lord, teach us how to put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility. To not return evil for evil. To not be jealous or slanderous towards one another. Lord, I pray that this broken, hurting, hopeless world would walk in the door of this place and be overwhelmed by the compassion of God's people. That we're not playing church games but we genuinely care. When our family members are suffering, help us to stop and care. When people are in need and we have the capacity to meet those needs, Lord, help us to care enough to do something about it. Lord, I pray it just wouldn't be here and there, but Lord, launch new ministries of passion out of this place in this community and beyond Lord we can't reach this community we can't save anybody we can't rescue anybody we can't change anyone's heart but you can so we ask you to come and reign and be Lord of all be first place in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hope you have a great week this week. Why don't you hug somebody on the way out? Thanks for being here. Blessings. <laughs>